Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. I'm your host, Shane Sanchez, and in this season of the podcast, we're talking about what it means to be more human and lead humans in the tension. We're so excited for you to listen to this message from Orange Conference by none other than Doug Fields. Doug is a veteran of over 30 years in the youth ministry space. He's the co-founder of DownloadYouthMinistry.com, an author of over 50 books, a speaker, and a consultant. And we can't wait for you to get to learn from him. So let's dive in. Well, hi, everybody. I know that you had several different choices to make of where you might want to go for a breakout, and I am glad you're here. If I could be in any type of room with people, it is youth workers. I tell people all the time that like, after church on Sunday, if I walk into a restaurant and if there was a booth full of parents and a booth full of teenagers and a booth full of youth workers, I'm immediately going to go to the booth full of teenagers and say hi and high five and take some of their fries. I'm going to go to the parents and say, I know you have a very difficult job, but if you really want to be in the center of God's will, you will pay for the teenagers' meals. But where I want to sit, like where I want to sup, uh, where I want to go knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye is with youth workers. It's all I really know is youth ministry. I felt God's call to my life when I was a junior in high school. My youth pastor asked me if I would lead a group of uh, junior high boys, and I just had a uh, New Testament good news for modern man. I had just become a Christian at about the age of 16, and I was about 17 when he asked me to lead. And uh, I really, I grew up my whole life wanting to be a professional uh, baseball player, but then and as I got a little bit older, I thought, you got to be good uh, to be in the pros. And so, um, but it, it, it really, as a junior in high school, God got my heart and called me into youth ministry. Even when I proposed to um, my, my uh, wife, I talked to her dad beforehand. His name is Jack. And Jack said, well, Doug, what are you going to do after you become a youth pastor? I had never thought of that. I just had never, I mean, I was only 21 at the, at the time, and I just never uh, thought beyond that. I said, I don't know, maybe I'll help other youth pastors. And that really has been the story of my life. I've never been a senior pastor. I was a youth pastor at uh, one church for 11 years, another church for 19 years. Uh, Josh Griffin and I started Download Youth Ministry about seven years ago, uh, and we've been doing that full-time for a while. And about three years ago, both Josh and I jumped back into the church, the church that I was at for 11 years. So I've got a, a lot of church experience. And um, I could talk church, honestly, I could talk church all day long. I could talk youth ministry all day long. But what Orange asked me to talk about is, how do you lead yourself? And I was thrilled that they asked that because I love talking about this as, as well. And to be a great leader, I think you, uh, number one, you need to be a great follower and we'll talk about that in just a second. But to be a great leader, you also know how, have to know how to lead yourself. And to be a great follower, you might say, like, Doug, why do you need to be a great follower? Because to be a great follower, this is where you learn leadership empathy. This is where you actually learn, like, when I'm in charge, I will. So raise your hand if you're in your 20s. Let me see your hands. You're in your 20s. I mean, this is, honestly, you guys, this is in your 20s is when you learn how you're going to lead really for the rest of your life. Because you're going to work with some really good leaders and some really bad leaders, but really this is where you're beginning to acquire, like, what type of leader do, do I want to be? And this is one of the essential values that you need to know how to follow if you're going to be able to lead. Um, I will say from, you know, 40 years working in youth ministry, um, I haven't always had the leaders above me that, that I've needed or I've wanted. And many years ago, I realized that it was really my responsibility to learn to lead myself. So to this day, as a matter of fact, when I was putting this media together uh, the other day, I, I, I uh, took a picture. This is from my office. This is my home office. And I just have this on a sticky tab. I mean, I'm 59 years old. I've been in the game for a long time. And this is just a reminder to me, Doug, be the leader that you wish you had. Because some of us in here, we make excuses. We wish we had, hey, you may not get great leaders. So you're going to have to learn to uh, lead yourself. But to be a great leader, you got to be a great follower. So let's talk about how do you, how do you lead yourself? 
And, and I just broke this down into two different ways. Lead first and then yourself. Lead, this is your, this is your public life. This is your skills. This is, um, there are so many ways for you to improve your skills and there are people and there are resources that are just lining up all day long to help you be a better leader, what I would call the public side of your leadership. Leading yourself, this is the second part, this is the private side. This is your heart. This is the part that really uh, no one really sees but yourself, and obviously God uh, sees, but this is the part that, the unseen part that validates who you are in the long run. Okay? The unseen part is the part that validates you know, who you are in, in the long run. And I've been working in the church for 40 years. My observation is this. It is up on the screen. Leaders need, tend to ignore the private side of their life until it is almost too late. Now, by show of hands, how many of you have seen, know of a leader that has had a moral failure? Just raise your hand and just put it up. Look around. Look around you. Just look around. This is pretty stunning. Now, keep your hand up if that leader's life, like you, there was some carnage that impacted you. Okay, some carnage that impacted. Yeah, me, me too. First church I worked at for 11 years, three pastors had affairs. Okay, three pastors had affairs. At that point, I was like, I, you know, I'm... I'm done. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go do something else. I mean, and, and because I didn't have great leaders, that's where I actually had to learn to, to lead myself because we know this headline is seen. I mean, you don't really want to Google this, but go ahead and, you know, I mean, this is, you know, this is seen all the time. And the leaders in this room, you didn't get into ministry with this type of aspiration. And in in being human, this whole theme of being human, we have to understand and pay attention to the human part of our lives. That I made a decision years ago, maybe not even a decision in understanding, where I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm really only one, maybe two bad choices away from being a headline. And, and so are you, Right? You, you, I mean, there is a, there is, I'm a pretty nice, uh, nice guy. I like to have fun. I'm with, you know, one of my best friends in the world on this trip, Josh Griffin. We laugh a lot. We have fun together. And, and but there's, a, I also have a, a dark side. I have a, a sinful nature. I can remember years ago, I had a bunch of junior hires in a, in a church van. I live in Southern California and we were driving through Palm Springs. And there is a portion of Palm Springs that was just like, no, there's no, there's no restaurants. There's no gas stations on your way to Arizona. And I'm, I'm driving with these junior hires and they're driving me nuts. And I had this thought to myself as I'm looking around, I thought, you know, if I, if I killed these kids, <laughs> this is where I'd bury them. And I'm literally driving the youth pastor and I'm just thinking like, I think I could get away with this, you know? And all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm like, where did that, where did that thought come from? And some of you are like, well, you were with junior hires. And so, you know, there's a part of that that every leader, every leader has to be aware that there is a, a private side that other people don't see. And that private side, one, has to be developed. And two, it has to be maintained if you're going to be a long-term effective leader. Now, I realize there's a lot of choices of uh, workshops and breakouts and seminars to go to, and leading yourself is not like, um, it's not like the sexiest title. I mean, like how to grow your youth group, how to get more volunteers, how to be a better speaker, you know, all those are, all those are like better titles, and those might help some ministry growth, but you know what? You taking some time to just kind of look inward for just a little bit is actually going to bear, I think, long-term fruit. Because a lot of us can do fake fruit. You can have fake fruit in the short term, but you can't have fake fruit over, over long term. You're just going to, you're going to get caught. You know, real fruit is where your roots are, are, are healthy. So how do we lead ourselves? And, you know, there is a big term going around now about soul care. And Sometimes people think soul care is selfish, and I'm not going to talk about the traditional soul care. I don't think it's selfish. I actually think it's strategic. I think it's strategic. Now, I know Andy Stanley has had great influence on a lot of leaders in this room, and just a couple weeks ago, this was his Instagram, why self-leadership is important for successful leadership, that you won't be a leader worth following 
if you don't lead yourself well. And exceptional self-leadership is the key to sustained influence and performance. And as I talk to people, a lot of times, you know, youth, youth pastors will come into Southern California, we'll have lunch or dinner or whatever. Like I said, I love being with youth workers. One of the number one questions I get really from people in their 20s to people who are older than me is like, how do I, how do I balance it all? How many of you, just curious, raise your hand, if you have thought, like, how do I balance all this, this crazy stuff from, from, you know, balance the demands of family and ministry, uh, time, how do I balance my time, how do I balance my inner world desires with the uh, outside world expectations? And this is going to be, this is going to sound super odd, and maybe you have never heard somebody uh, say this before, but I actually think you have to go out of balance to understand where balance is. I think there are parts of our journeys where you gotta, you got to go out of balance to kind of know where balance is. And some of you would be going like, well, what are some of the signs? Like sometimes the signs of going out of balance are, are too subtle. Like, Doug, how do I know if I'm moving in that direction? And let me just give you some, I'm not going to unpack these, but let me give you some thoughts that you might be going out of balance. This is a little autobiographical and plus a lot of years talking to, to other youth workers. First is this, a kind of a cluttered appearance. Cluttered appearance, and I don't mean dress or hair. Uh, I mean things like your desk, your car, your garage. Like if you go into those areas of your life and you're like, oh, they need an exorcism. You know, that might be a, that might be one side. Another would be low-level paranoia. And low-level paranoia is this, that uh, kind of in the back of your mind, there's always this thought like, what if I get caught? I mean, what if kids and parents find out that I'm not really the person that they think that I am. Because, you know, those of you that work with middle school, middle schoolers have like Jesus up here, and you're like right, in, I mean, you, they got you right next to Jesus. High school, you're low, a little bit lower. College, you're not even on the map. But, uh, you know, so, you, you, but what if I'm found out for like, I'm not who they think I am? Uh, another sign is a, you leave a series of disappointments. This is like forgotten appointments, um, Phone calls go unreturned, missed deadlines, things like that. Another would be excess time spent on easy or unproductive tasks, meaning this, that you, you spend your day and you go after like, I'm just going to go through the easy ones first. And you actually never get to the deeper, more difficult, sometimes depth type ones. Uh, connections with Jesus are rare and lack depth. Now, others may not know this about you because they can't see your inside, but you know this about yourself. And as a, and we'll talk a little bit this, uh, a little aside here. We'll talk about this in a minute. As a leader, hurry is the enemy of depth. Okay? Hurry is the enemy of depth. And uh, your connections are, because you're always in a hurry with, uh, here's, here's a biggie, uh, is skimming relationships. This is, you know, there, you might even have people that are close to you, but they don't really know who you are because you're skimming everywhere because you're trying to be uh, everywhere. And, and the last that I have there is easily discouraged, where you don't like your world as much as you want to like your world. And again, remember I said true balance oftentimes comes from going out of balance or finding what that out of balance is. Now, if some of you are like, Doug, you, you just described my life, okay? Now, don't beat yourself up over that. Just know that there are times where you just need to, like, begin to move into this idea of how do I counter this? And there's a couple ways to counter it. First is with awareness. And, and, and I can help you with this, okay? I'm going to make you aware of some areas. Now, awareness, um, Josh and I say this phrase all the time. It's this, uh, reality is our friend, okay? Being, being real, being truthful, being honest. If, we, if we're honest, it's going to be our friend because then we know what areas of our lives to address. So awareness. Second is confession. And I can't really help you with this one. I mean, you could confess to me afterwards and I'll, I'm happy to hang around and talk to people. I'll be the last to leave. But I, I can't really help you hold, hold you accountable if we're not doing life in kind of the same, same circles. Uh, and then change. Is like, okay, my life is moving towards out of balance. I got to lead myself well. And I feel like I can help you with, with this. I can give you some ideas on, on how. So what are the areas beneath the surface of a leader that need to be addressed? Now, there are several, but I'm going to go after five. 
I'm going to go after five areas that you need to lead yourself well. These are all areas that I would call under the waterline of what people can see. There, and and I, we could all argue that there are more. These may not even be the five most important. They're the ones that I think are important. Uh, they're in no specific order. Some of them bleed into the others. I realize this is not a perfect science, and you could critique it all day long. And that's one of the things that Christians love to do. We love to critique other people. Okay, a lot of times it's you know it's easier to be critical than it is to be thoughtful. Uh, and so we're always critiquing one another. And I'm just letting you know, go, go at it, okay? I don't care. Uh, there are probably better ones. These are the ones that, that I go after. Uh, and I'll just rattle them off real quick. That are beneath the waterline that you got to pay attention to. One is your inner drive and ambition. Uh, second is your management of time. This is really big, especially with young leaders until you really figure this one out. Um, third would be your desire and follow through to study and learn. Not only your desire, but your follow through. Fourth would be your spiritual habits. If you're going to lead yourself well, you've got to have a foundation of spiritual habits. And fifth would be your strength or resolve of calling. Now, again, just to visual of this is these are all under the waterline, okay? These are all the ones that, that the people in your ministry, the kids in your youth group, they're not really seeing. You can fake it um, from, from a distance, and I'm going to define each one of these. And then instead of, I think Christians do a great job of telling you the problem, but they don't give us a lot of solutions. So what I want to do is I want to identify these, and then I want to give you a couple things that you might be able to try. Does that make sense? So not just, not just explain it, but hey, here's some, here's some actions you might put into play if, if you want to go in this direction. The first is the inner drive and ambition. Uh, this is what topples a lot of leaders. This is why there's a lot of leaders that when I started youth ministry in 1979 are not around anymore because their drive and their ambition got, got the best of them. Now, drive and ambition are not bad. Some of you Enneagram 3 people, right? You're like, that's me. Okay, I'm the same way. Like drive and ambition are, are, are not bad. It's not a sin. Like anger. Anger is not a sin, right? It's how we use anger that damages people. And drive and ambition is the, is the same way. Driven people show signs of stress. Now, there's good stress. This morning at 7.45, when I showed up thinking I was going to speak on the main stage in front of a crowd... And somehow I missed the memo that I was on video to these five locations changes the game. That's when instant diarrhea hit, all right? And, and so there's that, there's that stress that I was feeling this morning, and there are, you know, athletes and performers and speakers. You know, we've all experienced that adrenaline. Some of that is a good type of stress. That's not the type of stress I'm referring to. Driven people carry what I would call a draining stress. And this is the type of stress that has been shown to diminish human capacity rather than enhance it. And this is a Doug Fields statement. I would say this, I don't think you can sustain a long-term stressful pace without danger to yourself and others. You might prove me wrong. I don't, I don't think so. Not long-term, not long-term stressful pace without damage to yourself or others. And here's my observation of driven people, and again, I am one, all right? I am one. And this constantly has to be in check. Uh, a driven person is most gratified only by accomplishment. A driven person is often thinking about status connections. Who can I meet to get me to that next spot? A driven person is rarely satisfied. They finish a great camp or special event, and they, they just, as soon as it's over, like they're like, okay, what's, what's the next thing I got to go after? A driven person is likely to shortcut integrity, okay? Meaning that for a driven person, it's, it's so often the end goal is the game that they're going to fudge in different areas of their life or rationalize and drift from truth. A driven person often has a trail of bodies in their wake, meaning that uh, sometimes the goal is more important than the people. And so they'll run over people to, to get to the goal. Here's a, probably the most obvious. A driven person is often highly competitive. Right? And it shows up in their language and how they even interact with other youth ministries in the area or departments in the church. And a driven person is usually very busy throughout all of the seasons. And I put seasons in quotes because I do believe that some of us are, have busy seasons. Okay? I mean, I'm just curious. You've said to a friend or a spouse, I'm just in a busy season. Anybody do that? Yeah. Well, seasons 
what? Change, right? <laughs> seasons change. Not, not where I live in Southern California, uh, but you know, the rest of the world, you, ha- you have different seasons and they change. And so if you're always in a busy season, it's really not a season. It's become more of a, a lifestyle. And a lot of driven people are insecure. And so their insecurity drives them to prove some type of worth. And, and busyness is a big one. And there's this sign that I saw one time that I just took a picture of it because it was like, oh, this is good. It's like, beware of the barrenness of a busy life, meaning the emptiness of a busy life. Now, that's not only for you as a leader, leader, okay? That describes you, but it also describes other people that you might bring on to your team, your volunteer team, or your church team, that if people are super, super busy, there may be some barrenness or some emptiness in there. So uh, let's get to, okay, Doug, you, you've elevated the problem, the issue at least. I got to pay attention to my drive and ambition. How do I do that? Let me give you two ways that I think you can do that. First is you got to make authentic community a top priority. Authentic community. Authentic community means that you're real. You're, you're human. You let people know uh, what they already know, that you're depraved, you're a sinner, you're broken, you have issues, you have wounds, you've been hurt, that you're not perfect, that uh, you know beneath the veneer there, there's some, some things going on. And there's a difference between artificial community and authentic community. I mentioned the first church I was at for 11 years, three pastors had affairs. I was in the small group with one of them. Okay? That was artificial community. Because community is only as real or as honest as the person is willing to be. So to, to pursuing that, I was with a pastor uh, last, uh, last week in Las Vegas, and he said to me, I have no friends. This is a guy I've been friends with him since uh, third grade. I mean, we're, you know, and that sounds terrible. They're like, where have you been, Doug? I mean, we went to elementary school together. We were in Mr. Smith's fifth grade class, went to junior high, and then we separated. We've come, become friends, but we're distant friends. And he's saying in his community, he has no friends. And what I would say to you, because it's hard to have friends in the church sometimes, you might have to invite them into your life. I had to do this. Uh, some of you may recognize the name Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, wrote the best-selling book of all time called The Purpose Driven Life. I was a youth pastor there for 19 years. When Rick was on television and, you know, he was kind of like the face of evangelical Christianity, um, I was the number two preacher at, at Saddleback. And if you want to know the look of disappointment you follow Rick Warren. That's kind of what it is because, I mean, people were flying at that point. They're flying from all over the world to go to Saddleback. Buses in the parking lot, the whole bed. After the worship set is over, you know, I walk out there and people are like, oh. I mean, it's like a a mega church of hate and disappointment. Um, But there were some years where I preached at Saddleback more than he did. And I sent a letter to an email to seven buddies. I mean, guys I went mountain bike riding with, guys who were on my volunteer youth ministry staff, guys I had coached Little League with. And I just said, um, my exposure is so big right now and so important, and I've just never done this before. I want to invite you into my life. That if you see anything inconsistent with what I say on stage and who I am off stage, I give you permission to talk about it. And, and my hope is of the seven of you that I'm sending it to, that two or three of you will say yes to that. Okay. Now how many said yes? Seven. Okay. Seven. So I even get chills as I tell you that story. Because, and God used those guys in a very, very real way. But I didn't have it. I had to invite that in, into my life. Uh, I've mentioned Josh. Josh and I started Download Youth Ministry together, and he's just the dearest of dear friends. One of the questions we always ask each other is why? Like, Josh, he's, going, he's taking a speaking event. Like, why, Josh? Why are you taking that? What's, what's your motive behind it? Is it, do you want to be known? Are you trying to be somebody? You know, and he asked the same question to me. Doug, why'd you say yes to that? Okay? What, what, you got to have people in your life or else your drive can take over. You got to have people in the right, your life asking the right questions. And it might be, gang, it might be somebody outside your church. 
you got to be real careful about the people in your church. I mean, you, it's hard to complain about your church to people who go to your church, right? <laughs> and sometimes you have to have friends that are maybe outside of your church. That's the beauty of like a youth pastor network or something like that, where you can talk to other people and it's like, nobody showed up to my lock-in. And people are like, I've been there. I get that. That's great. Your church sucks too. You know, that type of thing, whatever. <laughs> uh, you, you might have to invite that. So Uh, make authentic community a top priority. A second is this, uh, fast forward to your life's final scene. And maybe this is more relevant to, uh, (laughs) to me than it is to you because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 60 next year. 60. I used to be the youngest in the room. Started working at a church when I was 19. Now I'm like the geezer, like, you know, it's going to help me in CrossFit because the over 60 division, the weights go down. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, But, you know, in in church world, it's like, oh, can can we open the door for you? Here's a cane. What about a walker? You know, and and dodgeball. I'm always the first one out, okay? I just can't move, and kids love to throw. Anyway, uh, life's your final scene. Here's the final scene. You're dying. You're in hospice. Marge Fields is right there in our living room. Final scene, my mom. She didn't ask for her bowling trophies. She didn't ask for her awards. She didn't ask for a a slideshow of her 401k. What did she want? She wanted her closest. She wanted her, her people. You know, and so a lot of times we're out to achieve things that aren't gonna be there at the very end. You know, we, I'm not saying don't work hard. Of course, work hard. I mean, we're pointing people to, to Jesus. But some of you are working so hard and you're driven so much to build something to please people who aren't going to be around. Your, your audience is not your church. Your audience is Jesus. Okay? And some of us need to find a little more balance in there. And I think Jesus would tell some of us, slow down, Spanky. Okay? I got this with you or without you, all right? I mean, you know, you, you, you flame out, I'm still going to work. So I'd rather, you know, I like to work through you. But fast forward to that, that final, final scene. Uh, I just thought this was an interesting quote by a pretty famous person. She died four years ago. But at, at the end of her life, Barbara Bush said, you will never regret having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. You will regret not spending not, uh, time not spent with a husband, a friend, a child, or a parent. Okay. So a couple thoughts about driving ambition. Okay. Second, this is a biggie. This is where we talk about the management of time. And for many of us in here, this, this interweaves through all the other areas and it kills a lot of us. And this one, you know, uh, the common cry I hear from youth workers is this, I'm pretty disorganized and I often wonder if I'm getting anything significant done. Now I could talk about time for uh, hours. Let me give you one. If you have purpose-driven youth ministry or your pastor has purpose, it's been out for 20 years. Uh, if you go to a Goodwill and, and you find it there, if you look at church basement and there's a doorstop, take a look, okay, bright orange cover. Uh, there's a chapter in the end. And I still believe everything I wrote 20 years ago about, about managing time. So I've got a lot on this, but let me give you a couple thoughts. First is to track, uh, identify and track the rhythms of your time, Okay. Identify and track the rhythms of your time, meaning this. Not everybody has the same rhythms of effectiveness. Okay, watch. Those of you, um, you wake up in the morning without an alarm clock. In our culture, you're called a morning person. So you do this, like, rise and shine and give God the glory. Who is that person? Look, look raise your hand. Okay, keep, it on, keep your hands up. Keep your Because you're in the minority, Okay, you're in the minority. I love you. It's great. But, but you, your group of people make the rest of us feel bad about ourselves. Okay, because we qu- take that one verse where Jesus got up early to pray. Yeah, we forget that what did he do right before he walked on water late at night? Same thing. He was spending time alone late at night, and then he did a miracle, okay? So I see your morning person, and I trump you as in. Okay, how many of you, watch this. How many of you, you're not morning people. You're God's people. Let's see, yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. You don't rise and shine and give God the glory. The alarm goes off, and you're snooze, snooze, right? And you're like, you know, like, 
good God morning. You know, you're not, you're not good morning God. It's just, you're different. Now, some people want to shame you to be a morning person. Quit living. Some of you are living by the shame of other people. Stop it or you're never going to be who God wired you to be. Some of you, you go to church on Thursday at, you roll in at 9.30 and the church receptionist is like, oh, somebody's a little lazy today, huh? And you're like, oh gosh, I know, I know, I know. Hey, you were out Wednesday night till midnight because the the stain on the Mrs. Jones Memorial carpet, you're cleaning that on your hands and knees. And then you get a text at 11 o'clock from one of your volunteers who's with a kid who's cutting themselves, and you got to figure that whole thing out. The lady sitting behind the desk or the man sitting behind the desk who's mocking you was home watching reruns at 5 o'clock, 5.05, eating bonbons, all right? So don't be managed or shamed by other people. Folks, you have a rhythm, okay? I am not a morning person. I don't rise and shine and give God the glory glory. I rise and I drink, okay? Not alcohol, all right? No, I'm a closet Baptist, but uh, uh, I I do drink uh, grape juice like Jesus did uh, occasionally. But uh, no, I drink, I drink caffeine. I rise and drink caffeine. I have to get my, my legs underneath me, and I want to spend some time alone. And then I realize that my most productive time, I've just learned, I'm not saying this is you, I'm just giving you an example. My most productive time, when I'm like ready to go, I, I've exercised, I've spent some time alone, is about from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock, my most productive time. Now, what happens in church work? We, if I, my most productive time is at 10 o'clock, and then people want to go to lunch. We go to lunch at 11.30 till, you know, 1 or what, and I've just killed my most productive time. So if people want to go to lunch with me, I don't go during the normal time. Like, well, what if you don't have lunch meetings? Then I, I don't have lunch meetings. But I, I put my people time in the afternoon because that's when I'm most tired. So I have to, you got to figure out what those rhythms are, all right? Yeah, because if I'm going to prep a message, if I'm going to work on a sermon, if I'm going to prep this for you right now, I'm, I'm probably not prepping after lunch. I'm prepping before, uh, before lunch. So whatever you're, now if you're a morning person and your best work is done from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m., and, and you know, then you'd need to take a nap. Uh, and whatever you do, like you got to find those and, and figure them out. And then when you're the healthiest, you're the most up, put your most important stuff during that time. Does that make sense? Because when I'm knee to knee, eye to eye with somebody else, their energy is keeping me a little bit more awake and alive. Okay. So anyway, identify and track the rhythms of your time. Second thing is this. Realize every yes is a no to someone. The count of three, say no with me. One, two, three. No. So it's in your vocabulary. You know how to say it. Let's say it in Spanish. One, two, three. No. You're, you're bilingual. All right? We just have to learn to use this word more because there are people that I call time suckers. And they are going to suck the 1,440 minutes of your day out of you. And, and they will say things like, hey, it'll just take a minute. That's when you, no, uh, you just say, get behind me, evil one, all right? Because there is no such thing as a minute. Here is the best principle I ever learned. If you don't control your time, others will. If you don't control your time, others will. So you don't have to allow everyone's emergency to be your emergency. Doug, that doesn't sound very pastoral. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. My point is, everybody's got an emergency. Everybody's got an emergency, and you've got to realize that every yes is a no to somebody else. Me saying yes to this, to Orange, is a no to some things at home. And so we always are balancing what we're saying yes to. Um, And by the way, you won't make people happy when you begin to manage your time. You'll make your family happy. You'll be healthier. But a lot of people want all access to you. And that's where boundaries come in. That's where you have to learn to uh, flex your, your no uh, muscle. 
<clears throat> if you want to learn more about how I do roles and goals, um, we put a, up on the screen, you can do a, take a picture of this, and this is a free resource that we have at Download Youth Ministry, and you're welcome to mess around with it. Um, there's a little video that goes with it where I explain how I do my roles and goals, how I manage my week, how I budget my week, and I promise you, if you develop this skill, you will have a, you will lead yourself well, and I think you'll be able to lead others well as well. Okay, the third area that is beneath the waterline is um, your desire and follow through to study and learn. And so the reason I put follow through is because a lot of people have desire. If I was to say, you know, how many of you, you, you want to be, you want to learn, you'd raise your hand, everybody wants to learn, it's why you're here. But the follow-through is the difficult part. So this is where it combines with time. If you really do want to learn, then you have to budget that learning time into your schedule. Treat it like a meeting. And it's okay to have things like, you know, I have a study meeting. I have a prep meeting. And you block that time out. And if people say, hey, can we meet during that time? You say, you can say, no, I, I, I have a meeting. Because when you say to people, I have to study, they think that's negotiable. It's negotiable for them but make it a meeting. Now, why is this a big deal? Because if you don't learn, you will be outpaced by everybody else. If you want to be a leader, you have to be a learner because all leaders are, are learners. This is an interesting quote by Gordon MacDonald. He said, when the Christian's mind becomes dull, he can fall prey to the propaganda of a non-Christian scheme of things led by people who have not neglected their thinking powers and have simply outthought us. Yeah, it's pretty rough. So if you want to be a learner, you have to schedule that time. Now, let me give you a couple tips on this. First is you have to decide, do I want to study or do I want to skim? There's a difference. Right? There's a difference between studying and skin. By, by show of hands, how many of you eaten at Taco Bell? Okay, yeah, Taco Bell. How many of you eaten at a fancy uh, steakhouse like Ruth's Chris or Morton's? Okay, can you tell the difference between the beef? So I, I brought pictures of this, okay? One is, one is uh, Taco Bell and one is Ruth's Chris. Josh, can you put that up on the screen? Yeah, uh, there's Taco Bell, here's Ruth's Chris. Right? Can you tell the difference? Yeah, so can your audience. Do you want to be a leader who skims? If you do, welcome to Taco Bell Ministry. Okay? If you want to be a leader who studies and thinks and, 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 and isn't out thought, you've got to spend some time learning. Now, uh, so you've got to decide what kind of leader do I want to be. Do I just want to skim everything or do I want to study? And then second is I would say study for depth over breadth. And what I mean by this, I think a lot of us in here, we, and I know there are people speaking here who would totally disagree with me because they go on their social media and say, I've got a goal for 30 books a year, to read 30 books a year. And then it makes a bunch of us in here feel totally guilty unless you, you know, buy my books. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a Doug Fields book. They're skinny. Like, help, I'm a volunteer. It's like 19 pages. Uh, you know, I write small books because uh, that's what I like to read. So I, I would say this. What I encourage people to do, as opposed to this pressure to reach a number, if you're going to put a number on something, give it an, an hour a week. I'm going to study for three hours a week. I'm going to study for two hours a week, whatever it is, but study over depth, over breadth. Don't feel the pressure to X number of books. Put, if you're going to pressure, pressure yourself on hours. Does that make sense? See the difference on that? Um, all right. Here's the fourth area below the waterline is your spiritual habits. This is the no-brainer. I mean, we're in ministry. We know this. We know how Jesus talked to religious leaders. In Matthew 22, he's talking to religious leaders, and he calls the Pharisees, painted tombstones. I mean, is that not beautiful? That is, that is like such graphic imagery. You're a painted tombstone. Painted mean you look good on the outside, but you're what on the inside? Dead. Okay? Friends, this is not a sprint. Okay? Ministry is not a sprint. A lot of times we treat youth ministry as a sprint. But youth ministry shouldn't be a sprint. We're in, we're in a marathon that we get the privilege to take God's word as best as we can understand it and point teenagers who are making unbelievable decisions towards 
the life-giving Jesus. And, and if we're not living that out of our own life, if we're not bearing fruit in our own life, uh, it's, it's going to show. I'm not talking about your skills. Yes, you got to develop your skills. Yes, be a better leader. Yes, be a better recruiter of volunteers. Yes, be a better communicator. Yes, be a better writer of curriculum or, or whatever you, you need to be better. Those are your skills. But this is, this is where you don't fool. You don't fool people in the long game when it relates to your faith. Herbert Butterfield, in a book called Christianity and History, which I'm sure everybody has read, uh, said this, in, in both history and in life, it is a phenomena by no means rare to meet with comparatively unlettered people who seem to have struck profound spiritual depths. While there are many highly educated people of whom one feels that they are performing clever antics with their mind to cover a gaping hollowness that lies within. Right? It's pretty brutal, but when it comes to your spiritual life, you, don't want, you just don't want to fake it. And, and let's be honest, I mean, the quiet, the inner part of our world is the part that we can push to the side. Now, I'm going to get to this later. I don't know how many times over the years, and it's been a lot of years, where I've sat down to do a quiet time, and I'm in God's word, and I'm, I'm literally feasting. But then all of a sudden, my communicator hat kicks in, and I take that passage, and I move my Bible away, and I start working on a talk. And I, I move from really heart to skill. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to. But it's just, it's just what, you know, at times what, I have, what I've done, and I have to, I have to force myself. I'm, this is not prep, Doug. This is taking God's word. Be refreshed by the, the power of his word and the love of his spirit through, through his word. Because you won't lead well when you're on empty. I, I saw this last week, Craig Grishel on his Instagram. You'll never lead well when you're on empty. So when it comes to your spiritual habits, um, <clears throat> I am not a guilt guy at all. I am totally not a guilt guy. I actually think um, Jesus wasn't guilt either. I mean, think about the Lord's Prayer when he said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And you know, that prayer, that's like 50 words. So he wasn't saying pray for two hours at 4 a.m. He was saying, hey, when you pray, pray like this. God, I recognize you. Thanks for this day. Lead me not into temptation. You know, it, 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 was, it was a walk with Jesus. Jesus was like, you guys, follow me. Come on. You're total knuckleheads. Let's walk. You know, and, and, and our spiritual life isn't just like sitting at a feast every morning. I mean, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's, it's having snacks with Jesus and connecting with him on the go and, these, and red light prayers and read, reading, taking in his word. You know, I, I don't want sh- to shame anybody. But I do want to encourage you to know your gauges. So this is my first little tip. Know your full and empty gauges. If you don't know what your life is like when you're spiritually empty, I would encourage you to make notes of that. Pull out a journal. and just and I'll just read, read these right, right out of my journal. I've lived with this for years. I know when I'm spiritually empty. It's Doug Fields. Okay, I'm not saying this is you. When Doug Fields is spiritually empty or nearing empty, so imagine, you know, the gas deal. Um, When I'm nearing empty, I know I'm more selfish. When I find myself being like, oh, that was extra selfish, that's usually a sign like, oh, okay, Doug, you're, you're moving towards empty. I'm impatient, frustrated, and fragmented. When I find myself that way, that's usually a sign. Now, because I've invited authentic community into my life, the people that I do life with, they also know these signs as well, okay? And they can see it in me and help, help call it out. Um, I lack compassion for those who are hurting when I'm spiritually empty. I'm more vulnerable to temptation. I mean, that's a given. I'm short with people, especially short people. Uh, I'm, I'm more cynical and insecure and judgmental. I find it difficult to make good decisions, and I feel distant from God. So that's my gauge. I know that gauge. And when I, when I invite people into my life, they know that gauge too. Are you tracking with me? Does this make sense? So you got to know what it feels like and what it looks like in your life when you're, when you're spiritually empty. So know those gauges. Second thing I would encourage you to do, 
is to schedule solitude. Leaders, I know you don't want to do this because I've sat where you've sat and I've heard people talk about solitude and, and silence, but leaders have to be attentive in silence because you've got to be able to discern between the voice of God and the vision of others. Let me say that again. You've got to be able to discern between the voice of God and the vision of others. Because if you're in youth ministry, you're probably not the person in charge of the whole vision of your church. And sometimes we follow leaders who have a vision that isn't the same as the voice of God. And I don't know any other way than in that, that silence. And the goal of silence, just taking a, a, however much time you have of silence, it's to kind of soundproof the intruding noises from the outs of the public world to actually hear what God has to say. And there's some beautiful quotes on, on silence. Uh, Wayne Oates said, I love this, silence is not native to my world. Isn't that true? Silence more than likely is a stranger to your world too. If you and I ever have silence in our noisy hearts, we're going to have to grow it. You nurture silence in your noisy heart if you value it, if you cherish it, and if you're eager to nourish it. So again, you have to budget that time in. You need to budget that silence in. Here's, here's another one. I can't even pronounce this, this person's name. Uh, we're just going to call him Alex. Uh, rest is not something that the world gives us. If you want rest, you have to take it and protect it from a world intent to stealing it. It's real. It's right. Mother Teresa, we need to find God, and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is a friend of silence. When people don't take their day off to have some silence in their life, you know, we're we're violating the commands of God. We know it's one of, you know, one of the com commandments. In Exodus 31, it says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor, and read this with me, and he was refreshed. The literal translation there says he refreshed himself. So this is the only point I'm going to give you sub-tips. Okay? So there's some tips on spiritual life. Here's a sub-tip on solitude. First is this. Take a non-negotiable day off. Okay? If you work in the church, you got to take a non-negotiable day off. I can remember three decades ago, my executive pastor said, I don't take a day off because the devil doesn't take a day off. And it sounds like, you know, when I was in my 20s, it's was like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Like, I, I, I may get a tattoo uh, of that. Okay? Okay, the problem is the devil's not my role model. Right? And, and maybe he wouldn't be the devil if he took a day off as the Lord commanded. So, uh, you know, you take, you take that day off. And I realize you got to clear hurdles and the whole bit, but the second little subpoint under this is to unplug. Friends, you have to find some time where you're not scrolling, okay? Or what I call looping. For me, my loop is email, Instagram, Twitter, repeat. Email, Instagram, Twitter, retreat, maybe Slack. I jump in on Slack, okay? And you get into that loop. Sometimes you have to unplug. See, I, could, I can connect to anywhere in the world right here. And sometimes we are so connected out there, we're connected to everyone that we're not connected to the one, the one who gives us that, that nourishment and, and speaks in that, in that silence. And finally, is your... This is below the waterline, your strength and resolve of calling. And people, people have asked me before, like, why do you make a big deal of, of this one? Because if you, if you know you're called, okay, if you know you're called to be a leader, uh, there's perseverance in there. My 40 years of leadership have not been easy. I mean, people from the distance, you know, we can, everybody, by the way, everybody looks better from a distance, Okay. Every church, every leader, every person, every youth group, everybody looks better from a distance. And you can fool people from a distance. You can't fool people up close. But healthy leaders, healthy leaders know they're called. Healthy leaders know they're called. And there's something about that calling that keeps us going. Not faking, but some of you in here, you need to flip a switch when you leave here and you go like, man, I've been on, I've been on the surface. 
I've been focused on my skills and I haven't been going under the waterline. I, I want to develop these areas that, that Doug was talking about. And because there is a, there's a stake in the ground when it comes to calling. Like, I, I feel called to youth ministry. I've never wanted to do anything else. I've been offered different things and I just, I'm called. Has it been easy? No, it's not easy. Okay? To have this resolve of calling, the first thing is just be in touch with your own depravity, right? Be in touch with your own depravity. You and I are one or two decisions away from tanking our whole lives. You know, when I drive to church on Sunday morning, I just think about this all the time. There's all these bicyclists. They, they, they bike in like 50 bikes at a time, and I always have to go around them, and, which, which is fine, but I always think like as I'm, I'm like, I just want to, I don't, I don't want to kill anyone. Like those of you who are into biking, I just want to clip the first guy. Because then I want to look in the rearview mirror and just watch them all like pile up as I drive to church to worship the Lord. That's what I, that's what I want to do, okay? But I am, I am fundamentally aware of my sin nature. And that's part of it. You got to be in touch with your own depravity. And, and lastly, is you got to understand your limits. Okay? Friend, disagree with me. You're fine to disagree with me on this, but you're not gifted in all areas. Okay? You are a bundle of strengths and weaknesses. You're a bundle of strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, quit comparing to, to other people. Know what you're, you know, understand your, your limits. Uh, you know, who are you called to be? You're called to be a follower of Jesus. Then what are you called to do? You're, you're called to within that calling to, to be. Then what's the best use of my time that God has given me in those 1,440 minutes a day? It's easy to impress people from a distance, okay? But that's not where the fruit is, you know? Some of you in here, when you've done 40 years of ministry, I'm going to be long gone, I'm going to be dancing with Jesus. And some of you are going to have made it because you've, you're going to have run the marathon because that's what ministry is. It's not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon. And, and when the difficulties come, will you have the foundation to last? That's what it means to lead yourself. We want to thank Doug for reminding us of the importance of leading ourselves well as we serve the next generation. And if you like this episode, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love this review by Corey. They said, this is quickly becoming one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you for investing in the next generation of church leaders. Corey, thanks for the review. We would love for you to join us at Orange Tour to continue learning what it means to lead humans. Go to orangetour.org to save your seat for our one-day training event for leaders and volunteers in a city near you. We'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast.